Good evening. Uh, why don't we uh, take a minute and pray. We'll jump in again tonight. We'll go for about 45 minutes, and then I'd like to open it up for uh, any easy questions that you have for me. <laughs> Obviously, my prayers were not answered. Jesus did not come back this afternoon, so... Of course, when he comes back, he'll correct everything I got wrong, so maybe I shouldn't be so eager. Why don't we take a minute and pray, though, before we jump into this. Heavenly Father, we look to you tonight. We recognize that um, this book of Revelation is indeed your word, and it is a living and active word, O Lord, and we're grateful to you that you have laid out for us what to expect in the days ahead because of your great love for us. And and uh, yet it's a confusing book for us. It's difficult for us. We just ask you that you give us insight and wisdom as we uh, navigate our way through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, since so much time has passed, it's amazing what a little operation will do. <laughs> um, I need to give you a, a review of where we're at. And also I know that there are uh, some here tonight that this is the first session they're coming to, and so just to plop in at this point might be a little bit difficult, but um, if you'll turn in your book, lit to page five, I want to go review just some of the uh, materials that we've looked at, and then we're going to move to uh, chapter eight. Uh, in, in a general sense, my understanding of the book of Revelation, if you've been here the other weeks, you know this is that I think Revelation is um, a book that it kind of telescopes as the book goes on. And so the first half of the book, from my perspective, the first 11 chapters summarize everything. And so you, you really get from the church age to the return of Christ in the millennial reign. It's referred to at least in chapters 1 through 11, and so that's kind of a unit in and of itself. But then when you get to chapter 12, the focus changes to the second half of this tribulation period, and like a telescope, it goes closer. You get a closer view of just that part of it. And so the first 11 chapters is everything including the church age, a seven-year time of tribulation where the Antichrist will reign, uh, the return of Christ, a millennial kingdom, and then eternity. When you get to chapter 12, we're immediately plopped into the middle of the tribulation period, and then it begins to unfold toward the end of the book. And then when you get to the very end of the book, the, the, um, the focus is on the very end and eternity and, and whatever. And so you get a closer glimpse of that. And so I kind of view it as a telescoping type approach. And if you see it that way, then what you can do with your own study is line up the passages that line up. For example, chapter 7 of Revelation corresponds with chapter 14 of Revelation and 8 and 15, and you begin to say, wait a minute, I just read about this, and then, and then you begin to understand it more clearly. It's just getting greater clarity as the book goes on. So this is why I think sometimes as people are reading the book of Revelation, if they view it as just chronology from beginning to end, they'll, they won't understand it. Part of the problem will be it looks like a third of the, the world dies too many times. <laughs> you know, another third, another third. It's like, that can't be. No, it's, it's a repeat. It's a repeat. And so 
that's why I divided this into two sections. So this half will be done in, in about three more weeks. And then in the fall, I want to take up chapter 12 through the end of the book, and I'll show how they all line up. So that's a general overview of how the, the book is laid out. Now on page five, uh, this is my understanding of the end times prophetic timeline. Uh, Revelation 1 through Revelation 1 through 3 lists seven churches, and I think those represent the church age. <clears throat> we can't say that for sure, but I do think that the church of Laodicea represents the, the church in the world today and the church before Christ returns. Uh, then, uh, we're in that church age, so that's where we are today. Then, the second point on here is that there are, are signs out there that point to the end times. And these are things that we're watching as things get closer. False teachers and messiahs, you're going to see more of that. Wars and conflicts, natural disasters, widespread death, through, mostly through wars, unraveling of societal fabric. You know, in Second Timothy it says, in the last days difficult times will come and people will be selfish and they'll, they'll hate their parents and they'll be just rebellious in many ways, haters of God, haters of people. It's going to get worse. Uh, then F there, increase in knowledge, which we're seeing that, of course. And then the, the, the last sign that's going to take place before Jesus actually returns is that the good news of the gospel will be preached throughout the world. Now, all of these things are happening right now, and Jesus referred to these as the beginning of birth pains. And so just like as you get closer to a, a baby being born, the, the birth pains get stronger and closer together. That's what we're going to be observing. So the people that are looking at our world thinking things are going to get better, uh, my understanding is no, things are actually wearing out. And that there are verses that talk about how the earth is going to wear out like a garment. Uh, then the next thing that's going to happen from my timeline, number three, is that the Antichrist will sign a seven-year agreement with Israel. To me, that's the thing that launches this end-time calendar with great specificity. An agreement's going to be made with Israel. It will be seven years in duration. If you hear that happening, really listen up because this would imply that it could be the beginning of the tribulation period. This world leader is going to rise to power. One of the, the characteristics of him, which we'll get about or talk about when we get to the second half of the book, is he's blasphemous. He's got a mouth on him, a really a godless individual. He'll eventually even declare himself to be God. But to me, that's, that's the next thing I'm waiting for. Now, some believe that the rapture happens right there. And actually, I was, in my upbringing, that was where, what I was raised to believe, that the rapture happens. You've got all these signs, and then this event called the rapture is going to take place. The rapture, uh, the word just means to be caught up, and, and Jesus is going to call believers to be up with him. And so many believe the rapture happens here where we're taken up into heaven before judgment comes to the earth, which is very similar to what happened, obviously, with... Uh, Noah, Noah's ark. As soon as he was in the ark, the flood waters came. And so many feel like we'll be gone before this Antichrist. But as we're going to, before he shows up, but as we're going to see tonight, uh, I want to demonstrate that I think we're going to actually witness the Antichrist. And we're actually going to know that that's who that is. 
and we'll be regarded as fools for believing it. People think we're religious fanatics because we believe this, but it'll be, I think, abundantly clear if that's the case. Uh, Number four, the Antichrist will break this seven-year agreement with Israel in the middle of that seven-year period, which is called the tribulation period. He's going to break his agreement in the middle, and this kicks off what's called the Great Tribulation. A massive persecution is going to take place, point five on here, against God's people. It's going to start with the Jewish nation. Jesus said about them that when you hear about this guy in the temple, desecrating the temple, flee to the mountains. Don't even go back and get your stuff. Take off because this horrible persecution is going to take place. And then in Revelation, it says after the Antichrist goes after the Jewish nation, he's going to go after the other children of God, which would be believers, whoever they may be that are around during that second three-and-a-half-year period. Point six, a remnant of Jews will be protected during this time, specifically 144,000 Jews. They are not Jehovah's Witnesses, but there'll be 12 or 10,000 from 12 different tribes. Seven, this is where I put the rapture, and tonight, before I get into eight, I want to explain why I put it here. Because in our study, we're at the rapture point in Revelation at the end of chapter seven. I think we're going to see the Antichrist. I think we're going to know it's him. We're going to know what's going to happen at the three-and-a-half-year point, and we're going to have time to actually get ready for it, prepare for it. Eight, Christ will return to judge the world. This is toward the end of the seven-year period. Number nine, Christ will reign for a 1,000 years. I think that's literal. Some people think that that's just symbolic because a 1,000 is kind of a number that just means a long time, but um, I tend to take all numbers as real and, and the correct number unless there's some good reason to make it symbolic, and I just don't see any reason to symbolize this number. In fact, to me, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would reign at the beginning of the seventh millennium because most scholars would acknowledge that Adam and Eve were around 6,000 years ago, We've had 6,000 years of getting it wrong. And then Jesus shows up and 1,000 years of getting it right. Now, they're still going to rebel at the end, but he's going to demonstrate how to do it. Ten, one last battle will take place. This is after the millennium. Uh, The whole world is going to rise up against Christ, even though he did everything right, and it's the final indictment against humanity. Jesus is saying, I did everything right, and you still are rebelling. That's just humanity. Uh, Number 11 there, uh, judgment day for unbelievers. Uh, Christians will not experience this judgment day. We'll already have our glorified bodies, by the way, at that rapture event. And then number 12, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And this this is encouraging to me because I've had people before say, I really... I don't like the idea of heaven because uh, this idea of uh, floating in the clouds playing harps, you know, for for ever doesn't just sound interesting to me. Well, it's we're not in the clouds. The city of Jerusalem is going to be on the new earth, and Christ is going to reign on the new earth, and we're going to be on the new earth, and there'll be a new heaven as well, and uh, we'll live forever with our God. So that's the general timeline that I follow 
Now if you go to the next page, page seven, I want to show how these again line up. Jesus, of course, in Matthew 24 was asked the question, what's the sign of your coming? And Jesus began to answer the questions and he started by saying in Matthew 24 that they're going to be false Christ, they're going to be wars, famines, earthquakes, all of that. That's called the beginning of birth pains. And that's during the first half of this tribulation period. Now, I think the Antichrist is where that zero is next to the guy on that line from Matthew 24. Uh, the Antichrist signs an agreement there. This line represents seven years. The first half of it, things are going to be bad, but not horrific. The second half, things are going to get really bad, mostly because of the persecution that's going to take place. And then at the end of that, it's what's called the day of the Lord. Christ is going to come back. Uh, Jesus talked about this, that the sun was going to stop shining, the stars were going to fall from the heavens, and you realize there's this, this, is, this is the judgment of God. Everything up to this point is not God's judgment. It's actually just the world and humanity, wars, famines, disease. These are part... These are things that are part of our reality now, but when you get to the end of this, when you get to this thing called the day of the Lord, that is God's judgment, and I'm convinced Christians are spared from that. We're spared from the wrath of God. We're spared from the judgment of God. Now, if you go down to the next line, you see Revelation, chapter 6 through 9, and then 12, and Revelation 6 starts with the first four seals, and those correspond with wars, famines, earthquakes, death, false Christ. The fifth seal is what's called the Great Tribulation, and this is the martyrdom of believers, and then that's followed by what's called seven trumpets, which is the wrath of God. So the seven trumpets are the judgment of God upon the world. If you go to 2 Thessalonians, it lines it up again in a similar way. Persecution, trials, suffering, distress, first half of the tribulation period, second half, uh, he doesn't talk much about that, but then he talks about the day of the Lord, and he talks about hell and the eternity for some. Last chart by way of uh, summary is on the next page, page nine. This is a summary of the whole book again, and this will get us where we are tonight. So once again, chapters one through 11 include the church age, the seven-year tribulation period, this event called the rapture, and then Jesus comes to earth to reign, chapters one through 11. Now, there's not much on the reign of Christ up to this point, but, it, but it's implied. Uh, then breaking that down a little further, chapters one through three are the church age, which I think we're in in the present hour. Chapters four and five in Revelation is what's called a pause in heaven, and this happens a few times in the book of Revelation. Before God comes and does some judgment or something, we get a glimpse of what's happening in heaven. And so you got this church age, and then all of a sudden our attention goes up to heaven, and we see that God is getting ready to do something in chapters 4 and 5. Then chapter 6 begins with these seven seals. Now Jesus in Revelation was presented with a scroll. And he was the only one that was allowed to open the scroll, and this scroll of parchment or vellum, which would be uh, uh, 
the skin of an animal or whatever, had seven seals. And so what you have is a situation as Revelation is unfolding in chapter 6 where one seal after another is unfolded and then the document can be read. Okay, so the first seal comes off and this is the tribulation period, seals 1 through 4. Uh, in chapter 6. Seal 5 is the second half of the great tribulation period, and then six, seal 6, there's a sign in the heavens that Jesus is coming. Then chapter 7, which we touched on last time, is another pause, and there's a sealing that's taking place of 144 witnesses. They'll be uh, protected in Petra, and I think the rapture of the church happens in chapter 7. Then we begin to get to the day of the Lord or the wrath of God beginning in chapter 8. Now, chapter 7 includes within it the trumpets and um, what's the third one? You got an extra handout here tonight. Why don't you turn to that? It's the one that says tribulation, seals, trumpets, and bowls. So bowls is the third one. Did you all pick up one of those when you were coming in? This is a new handout for tonight. So there it is right there. This is outlining how, again, uh, from chapter 6 on, how it unfolds. So chapter 6 begins with those six seals. And those six seals, if you remember, were things like false prophets, wars, famines, death, pestilence. Chapter 6 is the, the beginning of the second half of the tribulation. Now, what I want you to understand is that you see the seven over there to the right near the top, you know, one through six and then seven. All the trumpets and all the bowls fit into the seventh seal. So you realize he unfolded this document, he got to the seventh seal. When that one was opened, we're suddenly introduced to seven trumpets and then seven bowls. And that's where we're going tonight. And so things are going to be getting worse as this begins to unfold. Now, before we get into chapter 8, I want to explain why it is that I believe that this rapture event is actually going to happen sometime toward the end of this seven-year tribulation period. In fact, if I had a guess, I would say it's 50 days before the end. Uh, And there are some reasons for that. There's some math in the book of Daniel. Why would I say that? Well, let me give you some reasons why. Number one is that as we've been going along in the book of Revelation, when we come to chapter six, I'm sorry, chapter six, and we come to the sixth seal, we read about an event that takes place that is a mystery to people that don't have this perspective of the rapture. Revelation 7 and verse 9. We read, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands. So we just went through all of these seals, and then you get to this, after the sixth one, you're at the seventh seal, And all these bad things were happening, wars and famines and all these things. And then all of a sudden you find this event that's taking place in heaven. And it says there are people from every tribe and nation up there with God. Well, who are they? 
Now, the position that I hold in terms of the rapture is called a pre-wrath position. Uh, I first read about this through Marvin Rosenthal. And the pre-wrath position is that God is going to spare us from wrath, but we're going to have to go through some tribulation. And so it's pre-wrath, the rapture is going to take place. If you have a pre-wrath position, if you believe that we're going to see some of the tribulation, we're going to see the wars and rumors of wars, if, if you believe we're going to see the Antichrist and the agreement that's going to be made, then I would expect in the book of Revelation to read about a rapture exactly where it appears. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, a group of people appear in heaven from every tribe and tongue and nation. And when it talks about the different languages here, by the way, where it talks about every language, it's actually the word is dialect. You're going to have a Bostonian accent and then someone from New York with a New York accent and you'd, West Virginia. I mean, you, you, you got all of those are up there and they just appear in heaven. And from a pre-trib position, which again was what I was raised, this doesn't make sense. They can't even answer. Nobody can answer who they are. Why, why did this group of people suddenly show up in heaven? From a pre-wrath position, this is where I would expect them. By the way, the pre-wrath position lines up exactly with the pre-trib position, except in the timing of that event called the rapture. In other words, they have the same theology completely, except the timing of this rapture. So, Revelation 7, 9 through 10 puts the rapture where I expect it, in a pre-wrath position. And by the way, it says they're robed in white with palm branches, this is the real Palm Sunday. This is celebrating. Remember how Jesus came into Jerusalem and they put the palm branches and everything. They were welcoming the king. And that's what's happening here where we get to join our king as he's getting ready to come down and reign. And so here we go with palm branches standing before Christ saying we're welcoming you as our messianic king. And it's happening exactly at this place. Second, the, timing, uh, the, the timeline that Jesus gave in the book of Matthew also seems to put this rapture event right before the wrath of God. Now, when you get to the wrath of God, the things you're, you'll start reading about again is the sun is going to stop shining for a third of the day. The stars are going to fall from the heaven. You're going to see divine judgment taking place. Right before that happens... Jesus said something was going to happen. It's found in Matthew 24, 30, and 31. He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. It's interesting how that's worded. Now, these verses come right after Jesus said there are going to be wars and rumors of wars and there are going to be false prophets and there's going to be this guy called an antichrist that Daniel talked about. Jesus mentioned all of that and then he says this. Then there'll be a sign in the heavens. The son of man is going to show up. A trumpet is going to sound. And then he is going to send out his angels to gather, it says, the elect from the four winds. I think that's a rapture. Looks to me like the rapture. And what's the next thing that happens in Matthew? The sun stops shining. The stars fall from the sky. And so that's exactly where I would put it. Third, nowhere in the Bible are we told that we will escape tribulation. 
There's nowhere in the Bible, in fact, Jesus even said, in this world you will have tribulation. We will have difficulty. Uh, And by the way, the the reason that this uh, is confusing for some is that they equate the wrath of God with tribulation. In the book of Thessalonians, in fact, we're going to look at here, here in a minute, but in the book of Thessalonians, it says that we've not been destined for wrath. Christians are not destined for wrath. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. And so people have concluded since Christians are not destined for wrath, then we'll escape the tribulation. Well, what's the assumption that they're making? They're making the assumption tribulation equals wrath. They're not the same thing. Now, if they were the same thing, then we will be gone. In other words, if tribulation equals wrath of God, the rapture would happen at the front end of this thing, but tribulation is not the same thing as wrath. In this world, you will have tribulation. And four, this plan seems consistent with how God operates. Uh, In 1 Peter 4, 17, Peter wrote, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who, do, who disobey the gospel of God? What Peter is referring to is he was writing to people that were suffering persecution. And he said, Christians are going to go through a hard time. It starts with us. God is refining his church, his people. And it's hard. But Peter's making the point, if you think it's hard for you... What about those who don't know God? Judgment is coming upon them. And I think that the church is going to go through this tribulation period as a refining fire. It's going, to, it's going to draw some lines. We're going to find out who were people truly of faith and who were not through this tribulation period. Five, Paul wrote that the Antichrist would appear before we can be gathered to Christ. This to me was one of the most compelling arguments from Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4 where Paul wrote, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, it sounds like the rapture to me, although it could be the millennial kingdom, I suppose. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by a message or by a letter as if it was from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come or the day of wrath has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. So here's, you got Paul and Paul heard the rumor that some people were struggling because they had heard that God had already begun the day of the Lord. It's here already. They had heard that. And Paul's writing back to them and saying, don't worry about it. Now, from a pre-tribulation perspective, if people began to circulate that Jesus came back already and was judging the world, if if that began to circulate from a pre-trib position, your response would be to that person, hey, we're still here. Rapture hasn't happened. That's what I would expect Paul to say here. 
You know, concerning our coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brethren, don't be easily upset because the fact you're here and the fact I'm here proves that it hasn't happened yet. But that's not what he says. He says the way you know that this hasn't happened yet, that Christ has not indeed come back yet, that he has not yet judged the world yet, is because you have not yet seen this guy who's called the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, this guy that's going to proclaim himself as a god. And so Paul is telling people that there's this thing that's going to happen and you know that Christ can't come back until that thing happens. And so to me, this suggests that his readers could expect to see it or participate in it. Now, why do people hold a pre-tribulation position? Well, let me give you some reasons why. First is the Bible seems to teach imminency, that Jesus will come back any time. You know, we don't know the day or the hour. Uh, people quote 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, about the times and seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so Paul here is describing that when the Lord comes back, it's going to be like a thief in the night. And so people say, well, that means then we won't know when it's going to happen, that we're all going to be caught by surprise. But that's not actually what this is saying. The people that are caught by surprise in these verses are unbelievers. They're not Christians. In fact, in the next verse, in verse 4, he says, but you brothers are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thief. It's not going to happen to you. You're going to know it's coming. And so to me, this, this is not a passage that's dealing with imminency, like we just won't have any idea that he's coming as a thief in the night will be caught by surprise. Paul specifically said, believers will not be caught by surprise when this happens. Second, the church, uh, people argue that the church seems to be absent after Revelation 3, which is a good point. You read about all the churches in, in Revelation 1 through 3, and then where's the church? And so people say, well, that obviously must mean that the rapture took place. No, I don't think that means that at all. What it means is that God's program now is focused toward the Jews. What's coming it's focused toward the Jews. It's, it's the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's God gathering together the Jewish nation to begin reigning in the millennial kingdom. And believers, by the way, I think are mentioned because I do think, again, we're the group that's in heaven, praising God, but it's not explicit. So this is kind of a, an argument from silence, the fact that the church is not mentioned. And it makes a point. But to me, this is what I would expect because God's beginning to turn things back toward the Jewish side of the equation. For the last couple thousand years, it's been the, the age of the Gentiles, but that age is going to pass and God's going to regraft in, he said, the nation of Israel. Third, again, people wrote that we'll escape, or I'm sorry, Paul wrote, we'd escape the wrath of God, which I referred to earlier. In verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5, for God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. And so Paul makes the point that Christians aren't destined for wrath and so we don't have to fear this. 
But again, there's an assumption that's being made here that the wrath of God is the same thing as tribulation, and I'm saying, no, they're two different things. Fourth, some argue that the Antichrist can't appear until the one who's restraining him is taken out of the way. Some of you, how many of you have heard this argument? Okay. Um, it's found in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. And this might be just a little confusing. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he's out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. The lawless one is the Antichrist. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming. Now this describes the fact that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In other words, the devil's at work. Lawlessness is spreading. But somebody is holding back the Antichrist right now. And a lot of Christians believe that the person who's holding back the Antichrist from coming until the right moment is the Holy Spirit, which makes some sense. And so the argument goes this way, that when it says that this one is going to be taken out of the way so the Antichrist could show up, they make the argument that since Christians have the Holy Spirit within them, then this must be the rapture. What's going to happen is Christians who have the Holy Spirit are going to go up to be with Jesus so the Holy Spirit won't be down here and that's going to open the way for the Antichrist to come. Uh, I personally think there's a lot of assumptions in there. And also, I'm convinced the Holy Spirit's going to be at work through the seven years. He doesn't leave just because we're going to be up with Jesus. We know people are going to be finding Christ until the end, that the gospel will be preached to the very end. And so I think the Spirit is going to be at work. Now, um, again, save your questions for the end, but that's kind of a brief uh, summary of why I land where I do. And now we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 8. If you look at that chart once again that I gave you, the starting point is in that second box there where you're at one. We're beginning the trumpets. So there were six seals. The seventh seal included all the trumpets. And then the seventh trumpet includes all the bowls. So there's a, one is folded within the other. So we are really at that second box beginning with uh, the one there. And so let's read what's happening right there in Revelation chapter 8 in verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Now, I liken this silence to the, to the, the quiet before the storm. It's, it's kind of like before the storm is coming, things get really oddly quiet. And so you've got the scene in heaven where there's this eerie silence for about a half hour. Verse 2, <clears throat> Then I saw seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Now, in, in the Old Testament, trumpets served three different purposes. One is that they served to gather people for an assembly. And so the, the first trumpet, of course, we read about in the book of Revelation is this trumpet at the rapture, we're, we're being assembled to be with Christ, and so we're called up or caught up into heaven. And so calling people together for an assembly was one of the uses for the trumpet. The second was uh, during times of rejoicing, they would blow trumpets of celebration during some of the festivals, a time of celebration, Jewish feasts. And third, they were blown to gather people for battle. 
And it is in this third sense that I think John is writing about it now. A trumpet is being blown to gather people for this battle that's going to take place. Let's continue in verse 3. Another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints or all the believers on the gold altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. So we have this scene, the trumpets have not yet been blown, but you have this situation where we get a glimpse in heaven and there's an altar there with smoke and the smoke represents the prayer of of the believers. Whose prayers are they and what are they praying about? Well, we know from elsewhere in Revelation that they're asking the question, God, when are you going to judge the world? When are you gonna pay back those who did this to us? And they're asking God for his justice and judgment to come on the world. Let's continue reading where we come then to that first trumpet. In verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, I take this literally. It says, hail, fire, mixed with blood. Why it's mixed with blood, that's a little bit of a mystery. I don't know if when it's falling from heaven, it's hitting birds. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But the outcome is that a third of the green stuff, the trees and the grass, are all burned up on the whole earth, one-third. Now, again, this is getting into, when we get to these trumpets, this is the wrath of God. This is the day of the Lord. This is referred to in the Old Testament a lot and in the New Testament as well. And it begins with this judgment. By the way, God is judging the world that has been scarred by sin. Part of this is a cleansing of everything that went wrong in the Garden of Eden because after Adam and Eve sinned, suddenly the world became a hard place. Suddenly there were thorns and thistles. Suddenly work was work. Digging up your your ground to put in plants was hard work now. All of creation came under a curse, Paul writes. And God is now beginning to judge the world as well in its fallenness. Now I think what's coming down from the sky there, I think they're either meteors or stars that are falling from the heavens and hitting the earth. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 7, He said, first be aware that scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. Remember how God said, let let the land come out of the water. Verse 6, through these waters, the world of that time perished when it flooded. 
by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And so you realize that there's another judgment coming that parallels the, the judgment of the flood early on in the story. And it is this time not a flood, but it's a judgment by fire or the world. And of course, eventually you're going to get a new heaven and a new earth anyway. Let's get to the second trumpet, Revelation 8 and verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now this says it's something like a mountain. Again, I don't know what this is. It, it, was it a meteor? What exactly happened? The effect of it, though, hitting the waters was, is that it created a tsunami, it appears, where a third of all the boats were destroyed, where a third of all the animals were, died. And so now, the first judgment, of course, took place on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, and now we're in the water. And again, I think this is something that God is beginning to purify creation a second time. Verse 10, we read about the third trumpet. It says, The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, so many people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. Now, they're either dying because there wasn't clean water to drink or they were dying because the water was poisonous. But now you see that there's this judgment that's, that's taking place on the rivers and on the streams as well. Now, some of this, by the way, should call to mind what happened in the Exodus and some of the plagues that took place in the Exodus. There are some parallelisms here between what happened there and what's going to happen in the future. Let's go to the fourth trumpet in verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and the night as well. I looked again and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. And so suddenly there, there's this, this eagle that's flying there saying, whoa, 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 it's getting worse. These three things were horrible, a third of the sun. By the way, again, this is referred to in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. I'm in the book of Ezekiel. It describes the sun losing its light and the stars falling. Isaiah does too. This isn't just revelation. This is stuff that God promised in the Old Testament, and it's confirmed in the book of Revelation. And again, I think he's judging creation. Now, Jesus talked about this again in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. We read, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. It's exactly the same thing. This is what Jesus is talking about. And again, in our timeline, this is the last thing Jesus mentions. 
This is the wrath of God. This is in the Old Testament also called the day of the Lord or the day of wrath. And it's the judgment that's gonna take place on the world. Now, I don't think I have time to jump into chapter nine. So why don't we open it up for questions? It's about quarter till anyway. it could be questions about anything that uh, we've covered tonight or maybe there's something else you are wondering next week, I think we'll just start with chapter nine. So, and yeah, and he's got, we've got a couple microphones here, so, and I'll try to see you. No foolish question. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that, but I'm gonna try. <laughs> um, you said something interesting tonight that you believe that 50 days towards the end, could you elaborate uh, elaborate a little more on that and also you subside to the idea that it's pre-wrath and, and I just kind of made the assumption from your charts and stuff it's like sort of mid-trib so I'm not sure about that and my final question will Christians will will Christians be confronted with the mark of the beast okay so um yeah, your first question, what was your first question again? <laughs> I got the 50 days, thank you. From listening to you tonight, yeah. I, I kind of yeah. got the impression, maybe it was the wrong impression, it, you said something about 50 days yeah. to the end. Okay. And now I'm, so, I'm not sure if you were talking about the end of the tribulation, that the, the, the Christians will be taken out to, you know, as the wrath unfolds of God, is that 50 days or is it more of a... Well, we'll be spared 100% of the wrath, so we won't go through any of that. Um, when we get to the second half of the book, I'd like to calculate Daniel's math again. But some have linked the math from the book of Daniel. Uh, there, there's a, a place that specifically talks about 300 or 310 days, and it doesn't say 360. And so there's a 50-day difference that is a mystery. What is that, that difference? I haven't looked at that for a while, though. What I would say is this, that I think that Jesus is going to come back on the Feast of Trumpets, the actual day of the Feast of Trumpets in the seventh year of the Tribulation. That's when I think he's coming back, on the Feast of Trumpets, which would kind of make sense the trumpet would sound. Most of the fulfillments of a lot of these biblical prophecies took place on the exact day from the Old Testament calendar. The day of Pentecost was the birth of the church. The Passover was when Jesus was crucified. They line up. And the next thing to happen is the, the blowing of the trumpet, the Feast of Trumpets. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Jesus said we won't know the day or hour. We don't know the day or hour. I understand that this one feast, the Feast of Trumpets, is the one feast that is different than the other ones in that a priest has to go out and look at the moon because they don't know if it's gonna be on this day or this day, depending on whether the moon is full or not. And so a priest will be there getting ready to blow the trumpet. Is it today or is it tomorrow? It's the one feast that could be this day or this day and they don't know the exact hour when it hits. And so I think when Jesus said, we won't know the day or the hour, I think he was referring to the Feast of Trumpets in probably that seventh feast, which is toward the end of the calendar year before Christ would come back. Uh, your third question was about um, 
Oh, getting the mark. Uh, so the question was whether or not Christians uh, will be faced with this. I believe the answer is yes. Now, we're hoping for a pre-trib rapture. <laughs> we're hoping for that. I hope Jesus comes tonight. Uh, it would be nice. It just would be nice. But um, I think we're going to know. I don't think we're going to be caught off guard at all. And, of course, Paul even said that. He said, we're not going to be caught off guard like other people. Don't get the mark. It's very, very clear in the book of Revelation. If anyone gets the mark, they are going to hell and never getting out. It's that clear about getting the mark. Anyone that gets the mark of the beast has sealed their eternal destiny because they're, they're aligning themselves with the Antichrist and not the Christ. They've, they've formed their alliance with the wrong person. Okay, other questions? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, so... So back to the 50 days then, if God's judgment comes in the last three and a half years and there are seven bowls of judgment and you're saying we would not be exposed to that, that we would go up sometime during the seven trumpets, how would the 50 days toward the end fall in line with that? I think what's going to happen is that all of those uh, trumpet judgments are going to happen one after another. And so it's going to be bam, 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 all of this to get the attention of the world. And so that could happen within a, a, a scope of 50 days. Now, I'm, I'm shooting a little bit from the hip with the 50-day thing. I, I have to research that, so I probably shouldn't have thrown it out there before I remembered exactly the reference where I got that. Uh, but there is some interesting math in the book of Daniel that's perplexing because some actual days are mentioned like 1,335, but it's not the number you'd expect. It's short by so many. And so you wonder, why, why is it short by so many? So. Excuse me. Would you just cover again, you said that some argue that the Antichrist can't appear. What was holding him back? Or There's a verse that says that this Antichrist is being held back by something or someone. And that when that something or someone is taken out of the way, then the Antichrist will show up. And so many Christians believe that the thing that's holding back the Antichrist is the Holy Spirit. And then they go one step further to say, since believers have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, the rapture will happen. We will go up to be with Jesus with the Holy Spirit, creating this spiritual vacuum of darkness on the earth that will allow the Antichrist to reign. But there are a lot of assumptions they're making. We don't know if the Antichrist is the one that, I'm sorry, if the Holy Spirit is holding back the Antichrist. We don't know if he's the one that's actually doing that. And then to assume that the Antichrist, or I'm sorry, that the Holy Spirit will not be here during that, the end of that time is a big assumption. I, I, I think that the last thing that's going to happen before Jesus comes back is that the whole world will hear the gospel. And to me, that requires the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I think the Spirit will be here. will be gone, but I think the Spirit's still going to be here. So, yeah. As you were talking, the... 144,000, I was always assuming that it was Messianic Jews, and I even had a familiar with the teacher where, a teaching where they described them as like 144,000 belly grams. And then as I started thinking, is that, is that even accurate that they're going to be Messianic Jews? Do you, 
I don't that. think they will be. I don't think they'll be believers. I don't think so. And the reason I say that is in both the Old and the New Testament, it says when they see Christ, they're going to weep like somebody who lost a firstborn son. They're going to realize what they did for the first time. They're going to realize we crucified the Messiah, and it's going to bring about a national um, revival among the Jewish people. They'll all believe. All 144,000, I believe, will put their faith in Christ. They will form the basis of the new millennial kingdom and they'll reign with Christ, as will we. I think we'll reign with Christ as well. And by the way, our reigning with Christ, I think, is going to be kind of fun because just like there are angels that are now carrying out God's will invisibly in the world today, uh, when uh, we get our new body, which happens at the rapture, I think we're going to serve with Christ in the millennial kingdom, but we'll have glorified bodies, and so we, we will kind of be acting like the angels were, serving the Jewish nation, establishing this millennial kingdom, reigning with Christ. So I think some of Jesus' parables were literal when he said, you were faithful with five cities, I'm going to give you ten. You know, that type of thing in his kingdom. So, Yeah. I just wanted to comment on everybody's comment on the restrainer. In Daniel 12, it says at that time, Michael shall stand up, and I have it translated, stand aside, and the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So isn't that like who the restrainer? That could be. That's a very good idea. And I think it's the right timeline, it's the right story. It's the, it is the same thing. Michael is the angel that's responsible for the Jewish people. And so it would make some sense, and he's, he and Gabriel are obviously very, very powerful angels, and so they could be the ones holding back this Antichrist. Yeah. And then when, when uh, the nation is properly hidden and, and the nation is being protected, uh, then the Antichrist could come. Yeah, that's a, uh, I mean, that's a, a great theory. That could be true. It'd be him. Yeah. In Matthew 25, 40 and 41, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women being, will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken, the other will be left. Is that the rapture? No. I don't think so. I used to think so. Um, it's, I have a little story related to that, because what's the next verse? Read the very next verse. It says something like we're the vultures. What is the next verse? Knows no one knows the day or hour. What does it say right after that then? <laughs> oh, you gotta find it again. Uh, it talks about, we're, I think it mentions something about the vultures, where the vultures gather, or something like that, which is really weird. Therefore, you do not know what hour the Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known, there was an... Okay, yeah, so it doesn't, it doesn't say what I was thinking. No, um, the people that are mentioned, I used to, again, I used to think that was the rapture, and I had a discussion with a, a friend of mine. We were like, I was like 15, he was 14, and I was reading Matthew, and all of a sudden, I read that, and I thought, I've had this thing wrong all the time. 
because I thought that that was the rapture and there's that song, you know, the movie A Thief in the Night and talks about one taken, you know, and you think it's the rapture, but the ones who are taken there are actually taken to judgment. And the reason I say that is if you look before that, it gives, that same phrase appears, uh, taken, the word taken away shows up a couple verses before that and it's describing Noah. And it says Noah was sealed in the ark before the flood came and took them all away. And so the people that were being taken away were taken in judgment. And then he goes on to say, therefore, you don't know the day or hour. One will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. The one that's taken, it's one of that one-third of the earth that's destined for death, I think. So if you look at that, you'll see that the word taken there is referring to previously taken by the waters into judgment. And so the ones taken in the next couple verses are actually taken to judgment, not the rapture. So otherwise, I think the rapture would happen earlier again, but I think in this place, in this timeline, it's not. So, okay? Back here, Tom. Yep. Go ahead. Also in Luke, it says two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left in Luke 17, 36 yeah. and 7. And, and they answered and said to him, where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered yeah. together. So that's what I was referring to. That's what I thought came after this one. So, yeah, so where are they going to be taken? Well, where the vultures are. It's, it's judgment. It's they're going to die. They're taken to judgment. That's why the vulture thing is thrown in there. It's going to be a, a bad scene. So that's where they're taken to judgment. So, okay, anything else? Our time is kind of up here anyway. Well, well we have one last question, Jim, here, if you could get the mic to. Just, oh. It's a quick one. Okay. Oh, yeah, so he asked the question, does a third mean anything? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, um, I haven't pondered that question. I'm sure it does mean something. Third is one of the, three is one of the numbers of completion. I actually have a chart of Bible numbers that I'm going to provide for you probably next week. I just need to find it. I, yeah, I don't know why it would be, uh, why a third? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that's about necessarily. All right, well, let's go ahead and pray. Um, Lord, again, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, we're not destined for wrath. We're just so grateful, Lord, that you've removed our sin from us and adopted us into your family, and we look forward to seeing you one day, and, and yet we want to be ready for whatever may be coming. So we just ask you to give us, again, grace to understand more and more what your word has to say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.